Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. I had this seventh grade boy in mind that sat there and said, Mrs. Martin, I don't read. And I wanted to write a book that I could hand him and say, prove it. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hey, 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 Sarah McKenzie here. You've got episode 64. Would you believe this is the last episode of season 10? It went by so fast. We're going to take just a little break, and then we'll be back with season 11 right after the 4th of July, all the way up to the holidays. So lots and lots of good stuff coming. Now, here's something I want you to know is that if you have not gone to readaloudrevival.com yet, you're missing out on some of our best resources. We are definitely not shut down when there's not new podcasts coming out. So you can always stay up to date by going to the website. Now, the best way to do that is to go to readaloudrevival.com and sign up for the emails. You get our book list when you do that. And it's a really big, fantastic book list, if I do say so myself. (laughs) We pretty much pride ourselves at Read a Letter Revival on carefully selecting books that we know will help you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids. Not every book is an awesome read aloud, but we really, we read just stacks and stacks of books on our team so that we can help you find the books that will help you enjoy reading aloud with them and not, you know, find a dud in there and sort of sour your read aloud time together. So our book lists, we are rolling out all the time. We have monthly picture book lists. We have book lists for kids and big families, fantasy lovers, books for boys, books for girls. Goodness, we're always coming out with more. We have a whole plan of what's coming down the pipe on the book lists that we're going to be rolling out. And you don't want to miss those. And the best way not to miss those is to go to readaloudrevival.com and sign up for our emails because people on the email list, they get the very first shot at the book list. And if you have been listening or following Read Aloud Revival for very long, you know that when we roll out our book list, a lot of times those books become kind of hard to get at your library because everyone else is putting them on hold. So you want to be on the email list because people on the email list get the book list before everybody else. (laughs) Okay. So readaloudrevival.com, head there, pop your email into the page. That way you don't miss out on anything that we've got going on even before the 4th of July when season 11 rolls out. Now let's get into today's show because, oh my gosh, I am so excited to introduce you to Laura Martin. Today's guest took her love of books and her love of kids and wrote one of the hardest to put down middle grade novels I've ever read. I'll tell you what, I am not usually a science fiction kind of girl. 
I would probably normally skip a book with a dinosaur on the cover, just being totally honest here. But my 13-year-old and 11-year-old both read The Edge of Extinction, The Ark Plan by Laura Martin. Well, more accurately, they devoured them. And then they told me I had to read them too. So I decided to give the first book in the series a try and instantly became one of Laura Martin's biggest fans. Laura Martin's books, The Ark Plan and Codename Flood, are epic tales sure to capture even the most reluctant reader. I find myself recommending them constantly to parents who ask me what their 8 to 14 year old kids who haven't fallen in love with reading yet will like to read. Laura is a former seventh grade language arts teacher who for six years came up with creative and inspiring ideas for getting her kids hooked on reading. She was especially drawn to helping boys who so often stop reading for enjoyment around that age. So I am thrilled to have this chance to talk with Laura about writing a series and how we can engage our hesitant readers and help them develop a love for reading that lasts a lifetime. Laura, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, me too. I'm excited for this conversation. And I've invited my 13-year-old daughter, Allison, and my 11-year-old son, Drew, onto the show because they loved your books. They're the ones who introduced you to me. So I wanted them to have a chance to meet you. So Allison, do you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, I'm Allison. And Drew. Hi, this is Drew speaking. (laughs) So glad to have them here. This is going to be really fun. I was wondering, how did you come up with the idea for the story? Well, I actually came up with it when I was still teaching. I was on fall break. And so my mom called me and said, hey, how about we go to New York City? And I didn't have any kids at the time, so I could drop everything and go to New York City. And I'm the kind of nerd who, when in New York, I don't want to go shopping or sightseeing. I wanted to go to the museum. They have a really cool museum, the Natural History Museum. And I was walking through, and they had all these really cool dinosaurs displayed. But prior to writing this book, I wasn't overly into dinosaurs. I would say I was like everybody else, where you look at dinosaur display, and you go, that's cool, and then you move on with your life, right? So I was looking at all these displays, and there was a little case off to the side that no one was really looking at because it was this little kind of tiny dinosaur. It was about the size of, say, a golden retriever. And I looked at it and I was like, huh, you know what? If we did bring dinosaurs out of extinction, would we eventually, you know, have them as pets? Like, would this be hanging out in somebody's backyard? So I took out my cell phone and I took a picture of it. And then I completely forgot about the idea. Months went by, I went back to teaching, I went back to my life. And then my cell phone popped up that fun little message that says, you know, you're out of storage, you need to delete something. So I was going through these pictures and I came across this random dinosaur picture that I'd taken and I almost deleted it. And then I had this thought, I was like, oh yeah, I had that idea about like, what if dinosaurs came back? And in that exact moment, I had this vision of this girl running to get the mail in a world where dinosaurs are back and something simple like getting the mail isn't quite so simple anymore. And so if you've read Edge of Extinction, that's the very first chapter is my main character attempting to get the mail. So what's fun is if you look at the very cover of Edge of Extinction, there's a little dinosaur on the bridge. And when we were designing the cover, I actually asked, can we put that same little dinosaur that I saw in the museum, can we put him on the bridge? And I just think it's a really kind of neat full circle of, you know, where an idea comes from and then actually seeing it on the cover of your book. And I also think it's a good testament to when you have an idea, even if it's a really weird, crazy idea, like what if dinosaurs come back? you should write it down somewhere. Because if I hadn't taken a picture on my phone, this book never would have happened. I wouldn't have remembered that idea months down the road. So whenever you get a good idea, even if it's a really crazy idea, it might be your idea. So you should really capture it somehow. I love that because it's not like you had this idea and you knew, oh, this this would make a really good middle grade novel and I'm going to put it somewhere where, you know, 
I'm going to write it down right. and I, it's going to be a project I work on right now. You just sort of had an idea, snapped it and then forgot about it kind of. But then you it was in a place where you could find it later when you were ready for it, right? And I was actually neck deep in querying my very first novel, which I didn't realize at the time, but it was awful and it will never see the light of day. Um, but <laughs> I got a really good piece of advice from someone that said, well, you're getting all these rejections when you're trying to get published you should start another book because you'll go, ooh, this one's really good. And you'll know you have something good coming down the pipeline. So I actually had just got done opening a bunch of rejections for this first book that I was convinced, you know, was really good, but really it wasn't. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, there was that idea. And I sat down and I started writing. And that's kind of where Edge of Extinction came from. Where did you get the characters' names? There's actually kind of some funny stories behind where I got those characters' names. The main character's name is Sky. And growing up as a little girl, I always said, if I had a daughter, I was going to name her Sky. I was, you know, determined. And then I got married and I realized that someone else gets an opinion in naming children other than just you. <laughs> my husband didn't like the name. So I said, okay, if I can't use it for a kid, I'll use it in my book. So that's where the name Sky came from. I just loved it. And then Todd, actually, funny story, I was teaching at the time and he was, there was a guy named Todd who was a social studies teacher at my school who was a friend of mine. And I stuck the name in more as a placeholder than anything else. And I was going to come back and think of something really cool to put in there later. But the weird thing about when you name a character and then you keep writing, that character becomes that name. And I got attached to having that character named Todd. So I kept it. Where did you find out about Loch Ness Monster and the Scottish Lake? That's funny that you mentioned that because that takes, you know, so much of that is happening in book two and having these kind of sea monsters. And when I was teaching, we actually used to teach a book called Tales of the Cryptids, which is a cryptid is an animal like a Loch Ness Monster or a Bigfoot, an animal that we think might exist, but we have no actual proof other than some sketchy photos and, you know, eyewitness accounts kind of thing. So we used to use that book as a nonfiction book. And I would like do all these things about Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster, which is kind of funny because the book that's currently sitting on my computer, like one fourth of the way done has all those things in it because I used to teach this book. So that's where my first kind of contact with that came from. And I used to teach with a really cool teacher named Mark Weaver, who was actually a teacher of the year a few years back. And he used to do a whole entire unit on the Loch Ness Monster and the science behind trying to figure out if this creature is real or not. So I've just always been intrigued with that. And there's something about a sea monster that just kind of like sends chills up your spine. So when I was writing book two, I was like, I have to have these guys in there. So, Drew, I have a question for you. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but um, if you were going to recommend the ARC plan, the first book of The Edge of Extinction to somebody, who do you think would like it? Like if they like, is there another book that they might have liked that would make you think they'd like this one? Or is there some reason that you think they might like it? I would think I'd have to say Fable Haven because it has a lot of similarities. Like there's a mission and there's a powerful sort of race trying to stop you. So I'd recommend Fable Haven. Okay. So if Fable, if you're a Fable Haven book lover out there, this might be a good one for you to try. Um, you might like this I love as well. Fable Haven. Do you? Oh, we are <laughs> working yeah. with getting Brandon Mole into an author access event at Real Letter Bible membership. So we don't have a date yet, but he said yes. So I'm clinging to the yes oh, email perfect. that I got. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Allison, you have some questions for Mrs. Martin, too, right? I do. Okay, so I was wondering which character is most like you. I would 
say sky is probably the most like me, but when I was writing it, I don't think I realized that. But I think it's just part of the writing process because I'm writing it as a first person. So when I'm saying I did this, I did that, I think you pull a lot of who you are into your characters, whether you mean to or not. So I'd say Sky is probably the most like me as far as kind of being stubborn, but being loyal and just kind of going for it. That's kind of the kid that I was and the adult I kind of turned out to be. So I would have to say Sky, but it's funny because a lot of the people in my life, like for example, I have a younger brother named Eric, who I really kind of modeled the character of Todd off of. I didn't tell him until after the book came out and I was like, oh, by the way, P.S., there's a character in there who's you. But it's kind of a fun thing because I didn't even realize until after the book came out and I had friends and family members read it, how much of the people in my life I pulled into these characters. And I'd go, is Ivan kind of like your grandpa? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, it's just, it's weird things because every life experience you have as a writer ultimately will end up in your stories in some way, shape or form. And I think that's what's really cool about being a writer. Okay, that makes sense. And Sky's not a bad person to be like at all. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. Are there going to be any more books in the Edge of Extinction series? Right now, there's not. Because the way, it's kind of weird that it only has two books in the series, which I know is not the norm. But when I sold my book originally to HarperCollins, it was just called The Ark Plan. There was no Edge of Extinction tacked on yet. They said, we like it, but we want you to split it into two books. So if you read Edge of Extinction, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger ending at the end because I had to make halfway through my original manuscript feel like enough of an ending. And then I, you know, book two is the other half plus some extra stuff. So that's why right now there's just two. Now, I don't want to say never say never because I would love to write another Edge of Extinction book someday. I have ideas in my head churning right now. But right now there's just two. Not to say I won't come back to them. I have other projects right now, one sitting on my editor's desk, actually, as we speak. Doesn't have dinosaurs in it, but I still think Edge of Extinction fans would really enjoy it. It's got the same feel. Okay, you should write another Edge of Extinction (laughs) book, definitely. (laughs) Okay, so what are you working on right now? I can't elaborate too much. I actually emailed my agent and I was like, how much can I tell them? I will say that the one that's sitting on my editor's desk right now is my new favorite, but I think... As a writer, whatever project you're currently working on seems to be your favorite. So we'll see if that one happens or not. It doesn't have dinosaurs in it. It bends a little more towards fantasy than science fiction. I would say Edge of Extinction is more of a science fiction book, and this one's more of a fantasy. So we'll see what happens with that one. And like I said, the current book that I'm working on has a lot of Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster kind of stuff going on in it. So as high interest, I hope, as dinosaurs was. Thank you for answering our questions. No problem. And thanks for reading the book and enjoying it and telling your mom and taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks so much. Thank you for writing it. (laughs) Okay, so you were a middle school language arts teacher for six years. Tell me about that and what that taught you about kids and reading or kind of how that informs what you write now. Well, for one thing, I loved it. I think middle school is my favorite age group ever, which usually when you tell that to people, they go, really? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But middle school kids are my favorite by far because They still have the innocence and excitement of, say, an elementary school kid, but they are starting to get like the put-togetherness of a high school kid. So they're right in the middle, which I think is great. But I did a lot of different things in my class because one thing that I noticed is that when kids walked into my classroom, they either identified themselves as a reader or not a reader from day one. And middle school kids are very vocal for the most part. They'll tell you, you know, Mrs. Martin, I don't read, I don't like reading, or they'll gush at you about this book that they just loved. So there's really no, not that I came across a lot of lukewarm kids, 
who were kind of into reading, it was like all or nothing, it seemed like in the middle school. But one of the things that I realized is that a lot of these kids came in and they didn't know how to find a book that they would enjoy. They didn't understand how to walk in the library and say, this is the kind of book that I like because they hadn't figured out who they were as readers yet. Up until that point, a lot of hand-holding had been done in elementary school. So one of the big things that I did is I tried to get them to understand what kind of reader are you? What works for you as a reader? And what kind of books do you really like? Because I would have kids who told me, you know, I'm just not a reader. And I said, wrong. You just haven't found the right book yet. I'm a huge believer in that there's one book out there that will catch a kid and not let them go. And it will turn the tide because once they have that experience of like really falling into a book and having it speak to them at like a gut deep level, there's no going back. But you've got to find that book for the kid. And every kid is different. You've got to find you know, the book that speaks specifically to them. I love that because I asked on recently, I asked on Facebook, you know, what book turns you into a reader? And I don't remember how many responses there were. I think over 800. It was just like, everybody knows what book turns them into a reader because they can Mm -hmm. remember it. And when I was talking to the author, Jonathan Augier, he said the book that turned him into a reader was, well, he really liked the Cam Jansen series, kind of helped him get better at reading. And so then he, it was easier, which helps you become a reader, of course. But Matilda was the one that he really remembers. And that's the same one for me. It was the first big book that I read on my own. The one that I read and realized that reading books was something I would want to do even if no one told me to. And that was kind of a new thing for me. So what book turned you into a reader? I'm curious. I would say it was probably the Chronicles of Narnia series. I don't know which one we were on. My mom was reading aloud to me every night. And I have a younger brother who was apparently being annoying one night. And she said, I'm sorry, Laura, I have to go take care of Eric. And so I was like, okay, forget this. And I picked up the book and I kept going. And I think I was right around second grade then. And it just went from there. I devoured the entire series. And I kept, my mom kept going, you're too little to read these by yourself. And I was like, but I'm not. (laughs) I have this. So I would say it was the Chronicles of Narnia series. I just remember falling in love with the whole imagination of like, there could be a world behind a wardrobe, you know, and how cool is that? So those are probably the ones that really got me started. And then I just kind of took off from there. I had a bunch of different favorites as a kid. I went on a whole horse streak. I remember our library had a little horse sticker on the like bindings of the book. And I would go through the library and try to find every book that had a horse sticker, <laughs> which is one of the things that I actually turned around and used in my classroom is that I broke up my classroom library and I had a huge classroom library. You know, I scoured Goodwills and everywhere else. My husband was always like, you're spending more money on books. I was like, but of course I'm spending money on books. Yeah. So I had stickers. And so if it was like a realistic fiction book, it had an orange sticker on it. If it was fantasy, it had a blue sticker. If it was science fiction, it had a green. And my whole library was color coded so that kids who went, you know what? I really like science fiction books could easily find more science fiction books because a lot of kids walk into your classroom and they don't know what kind of books that they like. They don't understand what a science fiction book looks like or what a fantasy book looks like or what realistic fiction looks like. So it's a lot of helping them figure that out. So one of the very first things that I used to do in my classroom is I'd put them all in groups and I would just dump a huge pile of books out and I'd say, figure out what kind of genre these are. So they had to read the backs of the books. They had to go, oh, this has, you know, fantastical creatures like dragons in it. So that means it must be fantasy or this one is set in real life. There's no magic and must be realistic fiction. And I had ulterior motives because the pile of books is always like the best books I could find. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Because then they had to read the back of all these books <laughs> and they walked away going, Ooh, that one sounded really good because a lot of times middle school kids won't slow down enough to go through a whole stack of books to figure out which one sounds good. They just walk in the library, grab something random, go, oh, I don't like this. I must not like reading and walk away. 
I love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's so smart. I actually appreciate our local library. They put the fiction hardbacks by the first letter of the last or by the last. Wow, I can't even talk. See, I told you I fumble. <laughs> <laughs> they put the hardback fiction by the author's last name, of course. But the paperback middle grade novels, they put into categories like fantasy, realistic fiction, um, historical fiction. And that has been really helpful to my kids when they became fluent readers, but were trying to figure out what books they liked best. Because once they would read a couple, like for example, my oldest daughter loves historical fiction. So she would read a couple from there and realize she was going to be happy with almost anything from this section. And so she could go there when she wasn't sure what to read next. It was really helpful. And that's huge to be able to figure out who you are as a reader. And as adults, we do that naturally. We know that we like a certain kind of book. And so we look for those certain kind of books. But we forget that you have to learn that skill, that it's not something you just inherently have. And so it's something you've got to teach a lot of these kids because they've been just reading the books that have been handed to them. And so they're completely lost as to what kind of books they might like. So a lot of times I'd almost interview and say, okay, what do you like to watch on TV? What is your favorite movies? What are your hobbies? What do you, you know, and you Mm -hmm. kind of have to figure out, you know what? And then I'd give them, you know, a stack of five to 10 books. And I'd say, look at these, find one that you think sounds good. So it's so a lot of kind of figuring out who they were as a person and then, okay, what book's going to do it for you? Totally. So that's one of the questions I'll ask. Sometimes my kids' friends will say, you know, I'll ask them, what do you like to read? And they'll say, I'm not really a reader. I don't really read for fun. And then I'll say, well, what have you liked? Because I'll think, oh, I'm going to help. I'm going to help you find something. It's like my own personal mission now. So then oh, they'll say, well, I don't know. I don't like anything. And so the best next question I think is oftentimes, what's your favorite show? Because what people think is TV and books are totally different, but they're really just a different mode of stories. And so if you like a certain kind of story that you watch on TV, there's a very good chance that a good writer of that same kind of genre will be able to capture the imagination the same way, right? Exactly. I used to do book talks in my classroom. Every Wednesday before we went to the media center, I would have a stack of between 10, 15 books and I'd have them on my projector behind me and my kids would get out their notebooks and I had them keep something called a someday list a book they want to read someday. Mm. And I said, you should always have a list going of this great book that you want to get your hands on so that when you go to the library, you have in hand 15 to 20 books that you would really like to read because you know, you you know, you heard about them. They sounded good. So I would do these book talks. They would write down anything that sounded good in their someday list. And then we'd head to the library. But one of the ways that I would always pitch books, especially books that were geared a little bit more towards boys, is I would pitch it almost like a movie. I'd say, okay, guys, so this book's called Alfred Kropp. Um, and it's, you know, set in modern day, but you've got a lot of kind of old elements in it because the Knights of the Round Table are back, but instead of riding horses, they're driving Lamborghinis. If you like kind of like Mission Impossible or that kind of thing, this is a book for you. And the boys would just go, oh, and then, you know, write it down because you've made a connection of, oh, that sounds good because I also like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I know you say that all kids can love reading. They just not all kids have found the right book to help them love reading, right? And you told me when we are emailing back and forth about it's kind of like jelly beans. So tell us all about that. Well, jelly beans are one of those candies where if you have a bowl of jelly beans out, you'll see people do this all the time. They walk up and they take a look and then they pick out their favorite color, right? Like very few people (laughs) just take a handful of all of them and walk away. You pick out the reds, you pick out the yellows. So I actually used to use this as a demonstration for my kids. I'd walk in with a huge bag of jelly beans and I'd spread them out and I'd say, okay, now you only get to eat the black ones. And the kids would look at me like, really? I have to eat the black one? I'd say, now what if that was the only kind of jelly bean you'd ever tried? So you just said, you know what? I don't like the black ones. I must not like any of these. You right. know, and they would go, oh, and I'd say, 
that's what it's like if you read one book and you go, I didn't like this book, so I must not like any of these books. And I said, it's a lot of like finding your favorite flavor of jelly bean. There's so many flavors of jelly bean in the world. There's more flavors of books out there. You just have to figure out which ones you like so that when you walk into a library, you walk into a bookstore, you know what flavor you're looking for. And I talked a lot about this with, in regards to the writing process as well. I'd say, you know, guys, the writing process is not what school has always taught you, that you sit down and you do a rough draft and then you do a first draft and then you edit it and you do a second draft. I was like, that's not a real writing process. And you talk to any author, their writing <laughs> process is like, I have to have a cup of coffee and I have to be sitting on a couch or I have to have my laptop on my lap. And what it is, is a writing process is whatever process works for you so that you can write. And it's the same thing to be a reader. You have to figure out what your reading process is, what kind of books you like to read, how you like to read them. My brother was like the exact opposite kid than me. He was not a reader at all until he found audiobooks. And even today, he drives a lot for work. He listens to five to 10 audiobooks a week. And this is a kid my mom couldn't pay to read as a kid. Mm. So you just have to figure out what your process is, what works for you to make you a reader. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think a lot of times as parents, we have anxiety too over our kids liking the right books. And so we're so, I know that this has been true for me in the past. It's true for a lot of parents I meet when I go to homeschool conferences, for example. Parents are really caught up in, you know, they want their kids to like really good books, maybe to the detriment of helping their kids fall in love with reading first. And so instead of helping their child fall in love with reading and then self-identify as a reader, they're worried that their kids aren't going to love the classics. But it's so funny because that same question of, you know, what book turned you into a reader? It's not really common to hear someone say, you know, The Hound of the Baskervilles, <laughs> like, right. you know, Don Quixote. I mean, nobody says that. The books that help you fall in love with readings are the one where you just get lost in it. And I feel like as parents, we could shed a lot of that worry about our kids liking the right books if at first we help our kids become readers. And you do that by letting them fall in love with the stories that they absolutely love, regardless of whether you feel like it's the best right. literature available or not, right? We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? <laughs> fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And a lot of times parents forget that every child, you know, 
just because their daughter loved this certain kind of book and this worked for her as a reader, that their son might have a completely different style as a reader and need something completely different. And we're all individuals. So a lot of times parents go, oh, but I love this book as a kid. And their kid goes, but I don't, you know? And so you have to find the book that your kids like, and you can eventually move them. I always call like some books like gateway books because they get them in the door, right? And Mm -hmm. you get them reading, you get them enjoying a story and understanding the joy of really devouring a book. And then you can say, oh, if you like this, you'll really like this one. And it's kind of baby steps. You're kind of leading them through the woods, right? And saying, well, if you like this one. And one of the best ways to do that, I think, as a parent is to come from a really authentic place of, I just read this. I really think it's cool. You know, it has this in it. This character reminded me of your uncle, you know, and those kind of things will bring a kid in and go, okay, I'll read it. But they can tell, kids especially, can tell if you're trying to sell something. If you're just going, (laughs) oh here's a really good book that I think you'll like, but they know you've never read it. You're just, you know, going off of recommendation. And so they'll go, eh, no, which is why I think Harry Potter tends to fall flat sometimes. Mm. I have kids come into my classroom and go, you know, I don't like Harry Potter. I'm like, but when did you try to read it? And they're like, third grade. I'm like, it's not a third grade book, right. you know, or a right. second grade. And a lot of times parents go, oh, every kid loves Harry Potter. You will obviously love Harry Potter. Here you go. And they're not ready for it. And so it falls flat and they go, well, if I didn't like Harry Potter and everybody likes it, then clearly I'm not a reader. Right. And that's just one of those things that makes them identify as a non-reader and then they get stuck in that identity. Exactly. Uh, Jonathan Oxier on the, I don't remember what episode number it was that he was on, but I'll make sure we put a link to it in the show notes. He was talking about how he wasn't a reader yet. He hadn't really fallen in love with the reader reading. His mom was so concerned about it. She actually pulled him out of school and homeschooled him for a year. <laughs> to look like right. with a I remember mission. listening to that one. He's like, because the most important thing was that I had become a reader. I know. I loved I it. Like, I just thought, oh my gosh, I need a mother. Meet yeah, exactly. And he was saying, you know, Cam Jansen was kind of one of the series that, that helped me realize, oh, reading is kind of fun. And he's like, Cam Jansen is not amazing literature. And it's not no one needs to worry that their kids are reading light, easy reads like Magic Treehouse and things like that. Because exactly like you said, they're all baby steps. And what I love to tell parents is to remind them that good taste in books is sort of acquired over time. It's something that we cultivate even as adults, too. We just sort of we're all a little bit different. All of our taste buds are a little different. And we don't need to take it personally when our kids don't love the books that we absolutely adored. Right. And then a and lot of it's timing. Kids, yeah. And we have to give our kids permission to abandon the book too. A lot of kids think that once I start it, I have to finish it. <laughs> and you'll see a kid carry a book around the entire school year and maybe read a paragraph at a time because it never grabs them. And I always tell kids, like, if you're not into it by the end of chapter one, you know, walk away. It's okay. You can yeah. put it back on the shelf and say, I tried and go to something that will keep your interest because there's so many good books out there. Don't waste your time on one that's not, you know, especially if it's not a good fit for you. Just because your best friend likes it doesn't mean you will. So what are some barriers that kids deal with when they're kind of on the road to becoming voracious readers or, you know, people who read in their spare time because they love to? What kind of barriers do you think they deal with most often? Well, I think, like I said, number one is they don't know who they are as a reader. and They need to figure Mm -hmm. out what do I like as a reader. But then a lot of times, especially in the traditional public school setting, Books can almost be brutally killed. And I I know that sounds awful, but like the way that sometimes you have to teach a book is it gets drug out and you have to analyze everything and what was the author's purpose and you plot all these characters. And that's not really a way to enjoy a book. And when kids sit down and actually read a book and enjoy it, that's the difference. So you need kids who are willing to go out and do that and not just rely on, oh, but I read books in school because they're never going to get a love of reading if the only books they read are the ones they have to write a three-page essay on. 
So one of the things that I always tell parents is audiobooks. You know, audiobooks are, you know, your new best friend. And I would always get kids and parents who look at me like, well, isn't that cheating? You know, like, <laughs> isn't that the way out? And I would go, no, because a lot of times if you have a kid who's a struggling reader and they've been labeled as a struggling reader from day one and they can't get out from under that label, they're a kid who has a really hard time getting through a book. And I always say it's like watching a movie in slow motion that keeps freezing. It's brutal and it's no fun. And why would you want to watch a movie in slow motion that keeps freezing? You know, if you have them listen to an audiobook, they're hearing a story as it's meant to be read at the right pace. They're hearing really difficult vocabulary in context, which is going to help them in the long run as well. And they're getting to enjoy a story without having the problem of sitting and trying to decipher words and get through a book. And also middle school is one of those times when kids are starting to really get busy. You know, their activities are picking up. They're getting more involved in school, which is when a lot of kids fall off the reading wagon, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. they're busy. Mm-hmm. But if you have a, you know, a kid who's listening to an audiobook in the car on the way to soccer practice or a kid who's training for cross country, and instead of listening to music, they're listening to a book for an hour every day while they go for a run, that's a big, you know, that's a game changer. It takes those kids who aren't the sit down and read kids and gives them an opportunity to still be a reader. Yeah, exactly. And even like my oldest daughter, she is a reader anyway, but she's also kind of a higher energy extrovert type of person. She'll listen to books while she's doing her chores or you know, going on a walk with me or whatever. And it feels like I can kind of relate to that. I'm one of those people that would have a hard time getting myself to stop and slow down and sit and read as often if I wasn't able to read on the go, which is what I do when I listen to audiobooks. Right, which is exactly what I did too. Right around middle school is when I started training for cross country. So I started listening to audiobooks. I actually discovered Harry Potter on audio, which oh, so Jindale is like yeah. the end all be all of narrators, yep. right? Like he's on my bucket list exactly. of people I would love to narrate my books someday. So I started listening and it, you know, it just doesn't stop. I keep books in my car. If I'm folding laundry, I'm listening to a book. And my students used to be like amazed because I would read five, 10 books a week. And I would always be telling them, I just read this. And like, do you do anything other than reading? (laughs) And I was like, actually, I listen to these on my way to work. I listen to them when I go for a run. I listen when I'm cooking, you know, so I'm not really ever sitting down and reading just because I have a busy life, but I'm still able to get through all of these books, you know? So I think it's just one of the best tricks out there. And a lot of people don't utilize it, especially since there's like, you know, every kid seems to have a phone now that you can put an app on and download a book onto. Exactly. Um, at the time when I was teaching, it wasn't as common, not as many of my students had cell phones. So I actually went to Goodwill and bought all these old Discmen. And I had them in my classroom that kids could check out because we still had books on CD that you could get from our library. And they would sit there and listen to a book on a Discman. And they were all like, what is that thing? I was like, this is your iPod's grandmother. <laughs> this is what came before your iPod. Yep. This is how it works. You know, and they'd be like, I don't understand what's wrong with them. Like, it's out of batteries. You don't just charge these. You have to put batteries, you know. So it was really funny because a lot of kids didn't understand how they could listen to an audiobook because it's on a CD. What do I do with it? You know, what do I do with the CD? <laughs> so funny. Um, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. For all of our listeners who don't know, Audible is my very favorite place to get audiobooks. I'm a subscriber, so I have the a monthly subscription where I get a credit and can get a new audiobook every month. But actually, at the Read Aloud Revival, we pay really close attention to as many of the best audiobook deals for kids that we can find, and we collect them all. So if you head to readaloudrevival.com, look for our Audible deals in the top menu bar there, and you can click on that. 
You don't have to be an Audible subscriber to grab those. A lot of times we find really good books for one to five bucks, which is an awesome deal on an audiobook. And then they can, you can download them to any kind of device, iPad, tablet. You can listen on a computer, on a phone, on an iPod, on an MP3 player and listen while they're doing, you know, weeding the yard or doing their chores or in the car or whatever. We listen to tons and tons of audiobooks that way. And I agree with absolutely everything that you just said, Laura, that audiobooks really just enrich your reading life so much. They are. And so if you tell your kids, and I used to not do a whole lot of take-home homework in my class because the standing homework was you read 20 minutes a night at least. And so if you have that as a standing standard in your house at least 20 minutes a night, it's really easy if your son has to go mow the lawn, that takes over 20 minutes. Say, well, you can get your reading done, listen to the book, you know, yeah. or we have to drive, you know, to so-and-so's lesson. You can listen on the way there. And then it makes reading accessible and easy and fast and not something that they have to sit down and be like, oh, I have to do this. It's something where all of a sudden mowing the lawn isn't boring anymore because you're not mowing the lawn. You're trying to find the lightning bolt that Zeus, you know, lost. And now your dad thinks you need to go get it kind of thing. So yeah, it's fun. Well, and once you get into a book that you just love, I remember one of the first audiobooks I had heard was the Lois Lowry's The Giver. It was the first mm-hmm. time I ever read it. And it was, I, I couldn't stop reading it. But I told myself I was only allowed to listen on the treadmill. I walked so much because <laughs> I wouldn't want to get off. And I'd be like, oh, I guess I better get it back on the treadmill. And my oldest daughter, she's funny too, because she'll get into a book and I can tell because the whole house will be tidy. And then she'll ask, do you have anything you need me to organize? Because she wants to listen to keep listening. But I'm like, oh my goodness, more audiobooks. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have all my laundry folded forever. It's so great. When I found out that Edge of Extinction was going to become an audiobook and mm-hmm. it is an audible, I freaked out. I think I was more excited about the fact that it would be an audiobook than I was that it was going to get published because audiobooks are just like my thing. And then yeah. I got to help pick out who was going to read it, which was also really cool because I'd been listening to audiobooks for years and years and years. So I knew these narrators by the books that they had read. I'm like, oh, I love her. You know, so it was a really cool experience to get to do that because I'm such an audiobook person. And then when I listened to my own book, it was another really weird experience because, you know, after writing and writing and writing, there were still parts where I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, so it was interesting to hear somebody else read it and really bring life to your characters. I didn't realize your book was on Audible. I just pulled it up. So we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Okay, so what other tips can you share with parents and teachers who are looking to create that love of books in their kids? Is there anything we haven't touched on that you think would be really helpful for encouraging kids who aren't naturally drawn to reading? Like I said, come from a really authentic place. If you've read it and you're excited about it and create kind of a culture of reading in your own house, which I know this is what this podcast is about, But instead of on car rides, you know, having everyone get out their iPads and watch movies, you know, have it be a thing where you listen to an audiobook and then talk about it. Some of my favorite memories are we, you know, listened to Gary Paulson's I Am Francis Tuckett on the way to Washington, D.C. when I was a kid. And I remember my dad then telling us all the history about it. And, you know, we're waiting to hear what would happen. And it was just a really cool thing because all of a sudden reading is a family thing and not something you do by yourself. Yeah. Another thing would be especially if you have a reluctant boy reader, have them around other people who are readers because especially in middle school, I mean, peer pressure is a huge thing, but you can use it to your advantage. You know, and if every, all their friends are talking about books and reading, which is one of the things I kind of created in my classroom is, you know, everyone's talking about books, so you might as well talk about books too. <laughs> um, creating that culture of, oh, everybody's reading and now I'm the odd man out if I'm not is a really kind of powerful thing. When you're talking to kids who want to be writers, and we have a lot of young aspiring writers and illustrators at the Read Aloud Revival, 
you say that they should be listening to books even more than they're reading them. So tell me why. Well, actually, it was your very first podcast where you interviewed Andrew Pudua about you know, the excellence in teaching and writing that had this like light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh my gosh, that's why I'm a writer because I've been listening to books since middle school. Mm. I'm one of those readers who reads quickly and I read fast. And because of that, my mom has always been confused because I'm a terrible seller. She'd always go, how do you read all those books that you can't sell? And I was like, I don't know. But it's because I don't necessarily see all the words when I'm reading. And if Mm -hmm. you've ever seen one of those tests where they just keep the first and the last letter of the word, but they change everything in the middle. Yeah. And you can still read it. You're one of those readers. And I always go into schools and I make the teachers go bug-eyed. And I tell the kids, like, guys, if you want to be a writer, you don't read books. And then I pause and they all look at me like, (laughs) and I go, listen to books. And then I talk to them and they always kind of look at me like, you've got to be kidding me. That's got to be cheating. But it's not because that accurate, correct language that you need to make writing sound correct and sound good, you don't get it when you're reading if you're a really good reader. And I always tell the kids, like, doesn't that sound like a ripoff? Like if you're a really good reader, that you might not be a good writer. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, I know, right? But listen to books because you'll get that language in your head that you need. And it was just a light bulb moment for me. So I'm like, well, of course, that's why I'm a writer. Because I've been listening to books, not because I've been reading them. Because I'm one of those readers who wasn't absorbing sentence structure or how things are put together. I want to make sure that our listeners can find you and your work. So let's tell them the best places to find you. I have an author's website, which is lauramartinbooks.com, where you can find all the information about my books, as well as I have a little blog on there where I kind of talk about all things author. And then a few of my kids' pictures as well pop up on there. They're so Um, cute. (laughs) And then I'm also on, thank you. I think so, but I'm biased. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Laura Martin Books and on Twitter at just Laura Martin Books because they cut me off at the S off. (laughs) Of course. Um, There's too many words. And I didn't realize it till after I had already signed up and all that fun stuff. And I think that's it. And I'm also on HarperCollins website. If you're interested, Edge of Extinction has an entire curriculum that you can download for free. And you can find that on my website as well. If you go under teacher resources, I think you can pull things out of the book. A lot of the nonfiction elements as far as like research projects with dinosaurs and that kind of fun stuff that don't kill the book. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. What's your name? Hannah. Hannah. Kelly. And how old are you? Five. And where are you from? Scotland. What's your favourite book? It's The Jolly Christmas Postman. The Jolly Christmas Postman. And what's your favourite thing about The Jolly Christmas Postman? That there's lots of letters in it I can read. You can read lots of other people's letters. What's your name? Samuel. And how old are you, Samuel? Um, four. You're four now, aren't you? You just had a birthday. And where are you from? Scotland. You're from Scotland. And what's your favourite book? Hedgehog. The Hedgehog. Why do you like the Hedgehog? Because there's a hedgehog in it. Do you like hedgehogs a lot? Yeah. What's your name? Hope. And how old are you? Six. And uh, where are you from? Um, and what's your favourite book? Um, sheep Pig. And what's The Sheep Pig about? Well, it's about a pig who wants to be a sheep dog. He wants to be a what? Sheep 
The dog, sheep dog. And why do you like it? Because it's just a nice book here and I mummy says I might be able to have to read it. Hi, I'm Nathaniel and I like Obadiah the Bull because he has a spyglass and I'm from California and three years old. Hi, my name is Victoria Navarro and I'm six years old and I live in California. My favorite book is Fancy Nancy because everything needs to be fancy in her book. My name is Sadie and I'm five years old and my favorite book is Little House in Big Woods and I really like it because Laura burned her finger because I'm a pig but she didn't mind because she really liked it. Hi, my name is Reka. I am six years old and live in Saskatchewan, Canada. My favorite books are the Magic Tree House books. I like that the places they go are real. My name is Ethan, and I'm three years old. And where do you live? In Saskatchewan, Canada. And what's your favorite book? The ABCs. Dr. Seuss's ABC? The Dr. Seuss's ABC book. And what do you like about it? Everything. You like everything? Everything. Everything, everything. My name's John, I'm three, and I play the book a very hungry caterpillar. And I like you without a food. My name is Fiona, and I'm seven years old, and I live in Colorado. My favorite book is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and I like it when Snape sits on Professor Lockhart and they do a little My name is James. I'm 10 years old, and I live in Colorado, and my favorite book is The Green Ember, and I like it when Pickett saves Smalls. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I'm 14 years old. I live in Colorado. My favorite book is Lord of the Rings, and my favorite part is when Sam takes the ring when he thinks Frodo is dead and decides to go off. Hi, my name is Emma Westa, and I'm six years old. My favorite book is the BFG because it has funny parts in it. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you, kids. I love hearing from you. I love it when you call in and tell us your favorite book recommendations. Hey, at a conference recently, somebody asked me, what ages are best sleep messages? We love hearing from anybody, anybody as little as they can talk into your phone (laughs) to leave us a message all the way up through the teens. So I love hearing them. And I know people who listen to the podcast love getting their book recommendations here too, right from other kids. So good. If you haven't left a message yet, you can do it at readaloudrevival.com. You just scroll to the bottom of the page. The place on the bottom left, you'll see a place for kids to leave messages for this section of the podcast. And on the bottom right, there's a place where you can leave a message yourself, moms and dads. You can leave questions about anything that you are wondering that you'd like us to answer on the podcast. You can even say, hey, we recently read Bedknobs and Broomsticks. What should we read next? Or what do I give to my kid who loves Harry Potter and doesn't know what to read next? I would love to answer any questions you have right here on the podcast. Go to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a message on the bottom right for me there. Hey, would you take a moment to head to iTunes and give the podcast a rating or review? 
Doing that helps iTunes know that this is a podcast they should show to other people who are looking for something just like this. And then we can help even more families make those meaningful and lasting connections with their own kids through books. You just go into iTunes, you can leave a rating or review for the Read Aloud Revival. That would be so awesome. I read them all, by the way. I just love hearing your feedback and what you think of the podcast. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast, head to the Read Aloud Revival shop. We have beautiful pottery, t-shirts, some of the best book bags ever. They're so awesome. (laughs) And they're all at rarstore.com. You can support the podcast. I love hearing stories of people who use their Read Aloud Revival book bags when they go to the library or they wear t-shirts when they go to the library. And then other people go, oh my gosh, you listen to the podcast too. It's like finding instantaneous, you know, revivaler peeps in your local area. (laughs) So fun. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate the time that you spend with me. I love it. That's it for season 10. We'll be back right after the 4th of July with season 11. We've already started working on it. It's a fantastic lineup. I know you're going to love it. We're going to keep working really hard on getting that ready for you. I hope you have a wonderful beginning to summer. And don't forget to visit us at readaloudrevival.com. Until next time, go make some meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.